Time and again, the world bears witness to truths seldom said. Lend an ear. We promise enlightened, informed conversation. My name is Robert, and this is Seldom Said, the place where conversation matters. Welcome back. This is Seldom Said, the place where conversation matters. My name is Robert. Special guest today, Ms. D. Wallace, actress, author, healer, a Renaissance woman in an age that finds Renaissance people rather rare. Welcome to Seldom Said, and thank you for being with us, Dee. It's my great pleasure. Can we start with a little bit of personal background, who you are, where you've been, and what's brought you to this time and place? Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, I was born and raised in Kansas City, Kansas. Actually never left Kansas City until I was around 27 when I went to find my fame and fortune in New York City. Um, Grew up in a fairly poor household. Uh, Much of my life we lived with my grandmother and grandfather. And um, raised uh, as a Methodist girl, um, quite um, God and church were quite important in my home. Um, My mother was a local actress in Kansas City and especially active in putting on the religious plays at our church. I laugh sometimes. Uh, I started out as the baby Jesus, and before I left for New York, I uh, ended up as the Virgin Mary. So (laughs) a lot to live up there, uh, to there. And um, my dad was an alcoholic who ended up committing suicide. Um, My mom and my grandmother, both beautiful, strong, um, and incredibly powerful and loving women who uh, really got me through everything. Uh, but my my father and his creativity also um, was just a, a very big part of my life. So I'm kind of a dichotomy even to this day. I spend a lot of my time part of my time healing people from fear. <laughs> so in a in a nutshell, that's that's kind of my uh, auspicious start in life. It's marvelous. Uh, just recently we lost uh, a Nobel laureate, Toni Morrison, a marvelous author. She had a incredibly interesting quote. She said that she refused to allow her past to become her future. Now you had some traumatic events. How did you put them away? I don't think you ever put them away, but I think there's a point in all of our lives where we allow ourselves to define ourselves as victims or victors, and my younger brother just committed suicide a couple of months ago, and I had learned by then, of course you grieve. And, of course, it's difficult. But um, the way I say the same thing that she said is nobody and nothing will ever keep me from creating who I am ever again. So I think you you honor and you honor whatever journey you're on and what you have to achieve from that journey. But you always know that you have the power to continually create who you are. 
From whence well of fortitude did you find the courage to just pack up and go to New York? You know, I I think it was more naivete than it was fortitude at that point. And I'm a big believer in naivete. Um, when we're naive, we're not filled with fear. We're not filled with doubt. It doesn't occur to us that we can't do what we want to do. And so I taught a year of high school and uh, packed my bags. And as my mother said, she knew I had something to fall back on then. So why not? And, um, you know, because of that blind naivete and belief, um, the the universe just said, okay, go here, and now you're going to meet that person, and then go there, and now you're going to meet, and then go to this party, and there's some agents there, and it was, it was really crazy. It's it's I'm I, I the definition of a Hollywood story, because by the time I left Kansas to the time I start in ET was a little over seven years which in my business is unusual, to say the best. And I just, I trusted in myself, and I trusted in the universe, and I was always led and taken care of. This would be, to paraphrase, a terrible pun, but uh, when did you realize on the streets of Manhattan that this wasn't Kansas, that this was real? You know, I I came alive in New York. Um, I probably have had many past lives in New York. For me, who, of course, was fearing for her daughter in this big city. And I called her and I said, Mom, I love it. It's like every day's Christmas here. That's the way I described it, because... Christmas in Kansas, everybody gets out, and there's all this hustle and bustle. and You know, well, it's like that every day in New York. I also loved the part of New York that was not BS. I mean, in New York, people just tell it like it is. If you're not right, they go, why the heck are you at this audition? You're not right for this. <laughs> you know, California, you go, oh, it's great to see you, and what a lovely audition, and thank you for coming in. And then when you leave, they go, why the heck was she here? She's not right for this. So I just always responded to the authenticity of New York City. I think it's. I think the people there are authentic, and I think the city's authentic. It's just made that way. And some people say you have, a t- have to have a tough skin in order to handle the truthfulness and the bluntness, but I was always very appreciative that um, that people were just honest and, and just told me like it was. So I could move on, or I could stay and do the job if I wanted to. When you use that phrase authenticity, Dee, do you feel that an actress can play anyone, or do you feel, as you gave examples of, there are simply some people that uh, the agent will say you're not fit to play or you don't fit the role. Do you feel that everything is possible? 
I think that everything is possible. I know that everything is possible if you know that everything is possible. That being said, there are some characters, types of characters, that I'm much better at that that are inherent in who I am than other characters. I don't do queens so well. But I do trailer trash and mothers and hookers and um, any kind of character that is in emotional turmoil. Um, uh, You know, in any business, I think we find out where our strengths are. And we accentuate those strengths if we're smart. And... I've always known that I love to do the emotional stuff. I love to be filled up with love in an emotional scene or fear or anger. I, I love to play the emotional levels and arcs that people go through in, again, an authentic way. Um, so I've realized over the years the things I'm better at and the things that other people um, just technically or by really who they are uh, as themselves lend themselves to playing certain roles um, with a little more ease and authenticity than other types of roles. Having played roles in 200 films, which is an amazing count. Given that scenario, Dee, are there parts that you would love to do again? No. <laughs> I I don't like to go back. I just like to keep moving forward. Now, there are types of roles that I would like to continue uh, to play. Um, I, a couple of years ago, did this very bizarre horror film called Red Christmas. And I took the part because it reminded me very much of the kind of tour de force part I played in Cujo and the emotional roller coaster that, and the, the strength and and I remember saying, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I can do this anymore because it's it was demanding physically and emotionally and mentally. And that that thought flitted through for about 30 seconds. And then the next thought was, well, forget that. I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> so <clears throat> the part... Uh, the film that I'm just getting ready to leave for on Sunday is a beautiful little family film. But it took over my heart from the perspective of love and love for your family and knowing what's right sometimes for the people you love even when they don't know it and kind of just supporting them and finding that out for themselves. Um, it was a story that's very close to my heart with my own daughter. Um, you know, she 
just released this um, amazing book called Eat, Pray, hashtag FML, that's available on Amazon. And it's all about um, her horrible divorce, finding out her husband had been having an affair a year after they were married, um, getting divorced, um, falling in love with someone else, getting dumped by him, and her power within herself that she insisted that she rise up to keep going and reinvent herself and how to love herself again and how to get her mojo and her power back. That's a universal story um, that I believe we're all drawn to. We've all been hurt, abused, abandoned, ripped apart in a relationship somewhere in our lives. And oftentimes, we, to use your word, don't go within ourselves to find the fortitude to rise above that and, again, say, yeah, it was a crummy thing that happened to me, and nothing is going to keep me from continuing to create what I want. That's an incredible amount of strength that one would take to objectively look at one's own psyche and patch it up. And yeah. we were going to, uh, we were going to extend to. Uh, forgive me. Continue. I'm sorry. I just want to say one thing. That's where your freedom lies. Mm. When you can do that, then you are free again to be the most magnificent you you can be. There's something that's popped into my mind as a thought. Uh, it relates to some of this. Uh, a good friend, a colleague, was uh, an African-American man in the South, and he lost a member of his family to racist violence. When I talked to him about it, and he's speaking at Columbia University recently, he's presenting his own story about the 30s. His attitude seems to be, well, if I hadn't lost my grandfather, I would not have been taken out of Alabama. If I had not been sick, I would not have been able to come to New York. He takes negatives and flips them. Do you find that that's the prerogative of healing? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, because, you know, and this is not just woo-woo spiritual stuff. This is literally brain science, that if you keep your brain focused on the negative. There's no way you can get out of the negative. You keep telling that same story in a loop over and over and over again, and that becomes the reality of your life. And that's why, you know, two kids in the same family, one of them becomes a doctor, one of them becomes a thug and a gang member. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's the choice, and there's always a choice, but you have to choose to make the choice. And it's always that choice in the moment around whether you move on, move up into your freedom and your continued creation, or you spend a life learning the reality of being stuck. Do you feel then that Dee Wallace and Gabrielle Wallace are both products of their own palette, the artists of their own future? 
I think we all are. I know we all are. And, and it's Gabrielle Stone, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> Gabrielle Stone is the author. Although I've, you know, I have five books out too, but this, I, I'm so proud of her for so honestly telling the story and showing, literally giving people a way back to themselves and their empowerment. Um, and I have taught her, I mean, you know, her, the love of my life and her daddy um, died before she was seven years old when I was doing the Frighteners. And that was the beginning of me teaching her. It's a big loss. We loved him. Life isn't the same without daddy. And who are we going to be now? So she and I are best friends. We have um, this incredible, honest relationship where we call each other on everything. Um, But when I first read the book, I went, oh, my gosh, Gabrielle, are you sure that you want to put all this stuff out to the world? And she looked at me and she said, and who taught me to be authentic? (laughs) And I went, well, you got me there. <laughs> you know. D, D, if I may, uh, this is marvelous. Uh, the hour is going to buy so quickly. I wonder if we might take the first station break. We'll be back in a few moments. Absolutely. My name is Robert. The program is seldom said. Our guest, D. Wallace, back in a second. This is Seldom Said with Robert Amato. Welcome back to the program, Seldom Said, special guest, Ms. D. Wallace, actress, author, healer. D. going back to those thoughts uh, that you began extrapolating on before the break, there's a, an apocryphal poetic statement that a mother's kiss is like a soft drop of rain, and the parallel being, how do you deal with tragic issues in a child the tendency would be to become involved and absorb the blow. And yet even when you corrected me and said D. Wallace Stone, there's the indicator that your daughter is her own person. How did you formulate that mode of action? I think a parent does that, first of all, by respecting their kid. Children... They may not understand words from the day they're born, but they definitely understand energy. They feel when they're tense. They feel when things are sad. And I never tried to hide those things from Gabrielle. I always tried to use him in teaching and go, okay, well, This is why mommy's angry. And mommy's angry because she's really afraid. And really teach her the life lessons through my own life lessons. So, of course, I protected her. But um, also, I always followed my own instincts for the most part. Like um, people said... 
well, yeah, you know, Chris just died, but it's you don't want to get in the habit of letting her sleep with you and come into your bed. Well, when she came in and looked at me and she said, Mommy, I'm lonely and I'm sad and I need to be next to you, I listened to me and my love and my instincts as opposed to, quote-unquote, the authorities. So she's 30 now. She's still not sleeping with me. All worked out just fine. But in those moments, she and I needed, we needed to know we were there for each other. And that thread continues to this very day. Now, that's not to say she won't tell me that I think that she thinks I'm on the wrong track, and I certainly will tell her. Um, Just this last week, I said, I think you're making a wrong decision about this. Why, she said. So I pleaded my case, and she considered it. She changed a couple of things, but she, like I taught her, owned her own authenticity. And that's that's a power that nobody can take away from you in this world. And that when you are that clear and that decided and that committed about what you want, people in the universe, their energy will shift around you so that they can help you in the creation of what you've chosen because they get the commitment. And so many of us are trying to create our lives without really choosing what we want and definitely without committing to it. And when I use the word commitment, I mean no matter what I have to do, I'm creating this. And she was a perfect example. I had specialists tell me, I'd never have a baby. I said, well, God and I have a different plan, and I'm going to have this baby. And she often jokes that there were all these millions of souls up there, and finally she said, all right, all right, I'll go. She's not going to give up. (laughs) But I did everything I had to do to create that baby, and I didn't accept the limitations that other people gave me. I have the impression that, uh, and perhaps a reach, correct me if I'm wrong, but I have the inference that you feel that prayer should be a discussion. Prayer? Prayer as a discussion rather than, oh, please help me through this. I think prayer... Do you know the original meaning of ask in Hebrew is claim or demand? So when you pray for something, you're not asking for it from weakness and I'm I'm not able to create this with you. In the pristine term of ask, you are saying, this will be delivered to me. And it puts on a much, much different vibration 
to the act of prayer or affirmations for that matter. Because a lot of people say the words while they're holding the belief system that they're not worthy to receive it. Which never made any sense to me. Because in the good book, when they're, when Christ is talking about miracles, he says these things, these miracles, and more will you do also. And then religion at some point, man-made religion, said, oh, no, 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 you don't have any power. You're not even worthy to sit at, you know, the bottom of his feet. But God never said that. Christ never said that. Man said that so that they could control other men. And we have to reclaim that God-given power made in the image and likeness of that was given to us originally as our duty in exploring the creation of energy in embodiment. You have embarked on a career that involves a really competitive nature, actress, author, and so forth. Uh, Gabriella now is an author, as an actress, in the same realm. Where do you place that atmosphere with the idea that one should simply be at ease with self? It would seem that ego has to be a necessity in both those careers. Where do you draw the lines? Well, <clears throat> I have a different take on ego than most people. Um, I think ego is really your monkey mind that um, comes forward to limit you. And so your ego is saying you're not good enough. And the way a lot of people handle that is, look how great I am. And you see, when somebody's truly great, like, let's say, Mother Teresa or Gandhi, um, even Oprah, they don't come off as egotistical because they just know that their power, true power, is not force. And there's a beautiful book, if anybody wants to read up on that, called Power Versus Force. It's an amazing book. But people who don't know and cannot quietly accept and exercise their power, then they start forcing. And they start forcing themselves and they start forcing other people under their control. And that's force. And that comes from a lack of self-worth. When you really know that you're the God of you, it's a very quiet power that can look very powerful in the world. When you don't know that you're the God of you, you think you have to be above all the other gods. And that's ego. Have you ever had a role, Dee, where the character was to some extent, by extension, yourself, 
where, given some of the things we've just discussed, uh, acting that role was like putting on a coat you remembered? I've had several, uh, actually, roles like that. Uh, E.T. was very, very much like me. Um, I <clears throat> was raised a lot of my probably high school on by a single mother. Um, I was a single mother. Mary, N.E.T., is a single mother. Um, I had no children at the time, but I certainly knew the dynamic of myself and my single mother and her having to go off to work and being as involved as she could be, but not fully. Um, and just the humor and everything in E.T. was very close to who I am. Cujo. Um, I was raised by a mother who um, saved my father from suicide twice before he was successful. Uh, I saw her get up and go to work at 6 a.m., come home at 7, cook dinner every night, um, take us to church on Sundays. I had really strong role models around I will do anything for my kid. And so those parts come very, very uh, easily and close to my heart, even though the mom in Cujo and the mom in E.T. are very, very different people. They were both driven by, I have to save these kids. We've been discussing extraordinarily strong women. What is your take on the Me Too movement? I think it's about time. And I think I would love to (laughs) see the Constitution rewritten that says all people are created equal Um, because women, quite frankly, when we've read the Constitution, always thought that meant us, but it didn't, never has. Um, Men have always been uh, a part of society, Not not in my experience, but in the experience of the world, um, You know, we didn't have the right to vote. We didn't have the right to work. uh, We still get paid less. And it's just another part of the energy going, look, all energy is created equal. What we do with the energy makes us stand apart. And... So, you know, the beautiful women who had the courage to head the suffragette movement, it's no different than the women that are coming out uh, now. And um, if you want to take it even further into the discussion, just like making a baby, masculine and feminine energy must come together for creation. You can't have a full, powerful creation without the two forces working together. 
in an equally balanced way. And so you're seeing a lot of that. And, you know, the Dalai Lama says the future belongs to the women. In my understanding, what that means is the future belongs to the power of the feminine force asserting and accepting that they are the other half of the balance of creation formula. And I think that is the highest thing that this is all about, is that when you bring the divine guidance, the nurturing, the open heart, the love of the feminine with the power and the direction of the masculine, then you can create anything. I had had the pleasure recently to meet His Holiness the Dalai Lama. He spoke of life being just a series of instances where one should let it be, one should tolerate. Is that naivete in and of itself, outside of the beauty of the phrase and the hope we'd all subscribe to it, letting it be, letting it happen, simply letting life wash off your back, your reaction? Uh, Yes, because when you go into reaction about anything, you give up your power and you leave your creative abilities. You can't um, open your brain into the world of all possibilities. Now, I don't think that means roll over and play dead and let the world run over you. My word would be acceptance. You have to accept anything and everything that happens to you first and then use your power to take that and decide what you're going to do with it. So when my husband passed away while I was shooting the Frighteners, I had to accept that. That was something I could not change. Back to God grant me the power to, you know, accept the things I cannot change. However, I could have not called on my fortitude and my strength and use that as an excuse not to finish the film, use that as an excuse to remain a victim, teach my daughter to be a victim by my modeling. But I chose a different path, which is what Robert Frost was talking about. And the choice of that path in the moment of our trials and tribulations makes all the difference. We're about to enter into our second station break. Ms. D. Wallace is our special guest. One can tell a program is superb, given the guest, given what the guest is saying, and the fragility of the time going by. We'll be back in a moment to complete this excellent discussion. My name is Robert. The program is Seldom Said. Mm-hmm. 
This is Seldom Said with Robert Amato. Welcome back. We're into our final segment of a marvelous interview with Ms. D. Wallace, actress, author, healer. D, if we were to uh, return some of the issues you've raised, the idea of acting, the idea of parlaying oneself into someone else's role, how do you compare that to writing? Well, I I think the books that move us the most are books that, again, are written in an authentic voice. Um, what the author believes, what excites him um, or her, <laughs> um, what is it from the heart of the matter that they want to express, whether it's Stephen King in his uh, horror writings or Gabrielle in Eat, Pray, FML. What, what is the subject matter, first of all, that moves you, and is it told in an authentic voice that takes you on a ride? Whether that ride is uh, science fiction and imagination or real-life self-help, um, whether it's a study of religion and brain science, which I think Christ was teaching brain science, um, uh, 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 is it written in authenticity and integrity? And those are the two things that run through any creative endeavor, including creating your life, that are the most important for a successful imaginative, creative end product. There is a conversation that was recorded between uh, Lord Lawrence Olivier and Dustin Hoffman. Hoffman asked Olivier, what is my motivation? And Olivier's response was simplistic. Just act, dear boy, just act. It doesn't seem one can do that easily on the printed page. There is a certain amount of openness that's almost as a diary might be. Do you have a writing process, Dee, that you stick to each time out? Well, I always follow um, John Nelson is my editor, and he um, guided me through Bright Light. And he said, Dee, don't think, just write. Don't think, just write. Write your heart. Write what you want to say. We'll go back and edit it later. But the heart of every book is coming from the passion of what you want to say. Now, I'm also a clear audience channel. So a lot of my writing, because I... I write an article for my uh, community every week. And a lot of my writing is channeled. Most of my books are channeled. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't sit here in embodiment and ask questions and go back and forth and go, oh, there's a better word I could use here. Wow, I just repeated that word up there. So... It's an interesting exploration for me 
to go in and out of the channel as I'm writing, but the channel always guides me in what to write and oftentimes how to say it. And what people, I think, don't understand is everything's energy. We learned that in fifth grade. So when I channel, the channel's me and I'm the channel. There isn't any separation. I'm just opening myself up to receiving information that other people might be closed off to because they're not asking for it. When you leave yourself open to ideas and thoughts, promises kept, there is a quote that strikes the mind. Woody Guthrie once said, everything is plagiarism. Everything's been done before. Is that a nuance, or do you believe that when you do channel thoughts and put pen to paper, whatever the case might be, you're doing something that has been done before, or this is uniquely your interpretation of it? Well, but you see, I think it's the same. I think that all energy, I know that all energy and ideas have been around forever, and it is those talented, innovative, and again, authentic people that put their own spin on it that make us think we've heard it for the first time. And a good example of that is, let's look at the Wizard of Oz, right? They're on this journey. Who am I? How do I get home? Who am I? How do I get home? And they meet all of the important attributes of strength along the way, heart and courage, and right? And then we get to the end of the film, and Glenda says, to Judy, well, to Dorothy, you had the power all along, Dorothy. Just click your heels. It wasn't about them. It wasn't about the wizard. It wasn't about all the places you're looking outside of yourself. You had the power. And then we get to Peter Pan. Think happy thoughts and you fly. Brain science will tell you the happier and more joyful you are, the more you experience compassion and love, your entire brain and every cell in your body shifts in response to that. And then we get to ET. Keep your heart light open. Keep your heart on. And you'll get back to the home of you. So, you know, we keep hearing it, but but incredibly, powerfully creative people find different ways to express it, which makes us believe that we're hearing it for the first time because it reminds us of the truth. You mentioned the number of stories that linger in one's mind. The idea of first star on the right straight on till morning, D, has it made you those descriptive phrases, an optimist in virtually all events that you've experienced? I think I was born an optimist. I think we all are. You know, if you watch a a little baby, um, 
they know they're the center of the world. They have to be because they can't do anything for themselves. So they allow themselves to be taken care of. They communicate in simple ways, and they know and trust that they will be taken care of. And then we're taught not to trust that anymore. And we're taught to um, give ourselves up that we're not as important as the kid we're playing with, so we should give our toy to them. And be careful what you say. And don't express who you really are because the teachers don't like it. And then we get to 20, 30, 40, 50, and we go, why can I still not create my life the way I want to? Because we have to get back to the naivete of what we were when we came in when we knew that the universe was going to rush forward to take care of us in one way or another. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here, period. So, again, we have all been taught limiting messages, limiting belief systems based on um, sense of the fathers that have been passed down about fear and lack of self-worth, um, religious uh, disempowering beliefs. And it's time for us to go, okay, everything's hanging out. All the answers, all the possibilities, all the thoughts are hanging out right above me. And I get to reach up and pick the ones that I want now. Because thoughts just don't happen. They just, they don't just happen to you. You get to choose to pick them. It's just that most of us don't know that, so we keep thinking the same limiting thing day after day after day after day, creating the same thing day after day after day after day, and wondering why nothing shifts. We've, we have got to accept the power of ourselves as the gods of ourselves we are, and then the god of all of everything, the universe, the force, whatever your term is, will come in and partner with you but not until you do your work. There are a myriad of sad stories about children who in kindergarten can't wait to get to school, and by 10th grade they can't wait to get home. Much of the educational system seems to stifle, seems to negate some of those things that you have really beautifully described. What kind of a teacher should a professional be in this public venue? Well, I can answer that professionally because I am a teacher in a, a lot of different ways. I taught high school, my own acting studio, my own dance studio. And I can tell you from being a teacher and from having a lot of good ones and bad ones, a good teacher, first of all, respects his students. <clears throat> um, so many teachers, like one of the senior teachers, when I said I was leaving after my first year, looked at me and he said, why, all the hard work's done. Now you just teach the same thing you taught this year for the rest of your tenure. And a good teacher can't do that. A good teacher has to be in the moment with his students and listen and 
compel and move them and in, enlighten them and empower them, um, not just get up and tell a bunch of facts over and over and over and over again with no innovation or excitement. I, I, it took me like six weeks. Now, this was back in the 60s when I was teaching to convince my principal that it was okay for me to take my students out into this beautiful yard we had under this beautiful tree to teach them poetry. That's how hard it was for for me to go, look, this is innovative. This is something that will excite them. This is something that will be new to them. It, it, you know, when I, I had a basic... Um, I had a basic English class. Some of them, literally, there were two people that couldn't spell their name. This is 10th grade. And my supervisor said, well, Dee, don't expect them to write any themes. They're not going to be able to write themes. I said, well, no, I am going to expect that of them. I'm going to expect them to be as great as they can be. Now, How did I get them to do that? I let them write about stuff that they knew. One girl wrote about an abortion. One boy wrote about fixing his motorcycle. I didn't ask them to read Shakespeare, which they can't identify with. But do you know the the power that came out of that class because they'd done it, because somebody believed they could do it and showed them how if they're passionate about something, they want to write about it, that's a good teacher. And yes, I was. <laughs> Marvelous. I salute you. <laughs> what then, uh, and where within uh, four minutes of the end of this all-too-short hour, what are your future plans, Dee? My future plans are key to keep creating in every way I can. Writing, acting, speaking, just did a big speaking engagement um, this last weekend. I love speaking. I would like to do more of that. Uh, Spending time with my daughter, uh, guiding her, helping her. Uh, We have a movie that we've had written for the two of us that we're in the process of looking for financing for right now. I just want to keep creating, and when I am creating, uh, even if it's on the gratitude walk that I take with my doggy every day, I'm happy. When I'm not creating, I'm restless, and I feel unfulfilled. It sounds as if the audience should expect Gabrielle and yourself to produce a film that makes a theater into a classroom, is that the goal? Um, Well, I think we always want to make a statement in everything we do, yes. And people say, well, yeah, great, Dee. What kind of statement are all your horror films making? And I always answer by, by the time you're finished with this, You can see you've handled it. You can understand more about fear. And um, 
you know, you can in some way increase your empowerment over yourself in how you're handling the fearful places in your life. It's a noble ambition. In the few seconds we have, Dee, any final words for my listening audience? Yes, love yourself. Get up every day and say, how can I love myself more today? What can I give myself that makes me happy? Um, what can I do action-wise in this day today that says, yes, you are powerful and you are special and you are honored in this world? If all of us could surprise and surmise to that inner light, I'm sure we'd have a much more peaceful world. Well, I guess we I'm... Can. We can. But, but that's a choice. I must ask you one final thing then. Mm-hmm. Would you consider a political attempt? Never. Never. Okay. Never. Um, <clears throat> and I would not consider a political attempt because there is no way that I would ever, ever compromise my integrity and my authenticity and my love. And I am not sure at all that that's possible in the political arena. You're speaking to the choir. Our special Uh guest has been Miss Dee Wallace. And I emphasize the word special. The name is Robert, and the program has been seldom said. Mm -hmm.